Hello everyone and welcome back to the Football Tribute Podcast. My name is Tom Sterling and today I'm joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello Pierce. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing well. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing last weekend's English Premier League and Scottish Premier League results. We will also be discussing the end to the January transfer window. And at the end of the podcast, Pierce will be giving a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. So we'll start off with uh, last weekend's English Premier League results. Um, so we'll start off from the Saturday, the 3rd of uh, February. So the results were Everton 2, Tottenham 2, Burnley 2, Fulham 2, Newcastle 4, Luton Town 4, Brighton 4, Crystal Palace 1, Sheffield United 0, Aston Villa 5, <clears throat> and then on Sunday, the 4th of February, the, the results were Bournemouth 1, Nottingham Forest 1, Chelsea 2, uh, Wolves 4, Manchester United 3, West Ham United 0, Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1, and then finally, one match on Monday, the 5th of February, and that was Brentford 1, Manchester City 3. So, um, starting off, Pierce. Is there a match there that stands out to you most? No, there's too many. <laughs> there's that many good results. Like you could, I think like the standout for me. You also go to high scoring ones. Um, like you get Newcastle, Luton four four, Sheffield United now Aston Villa five. And for me, I think the one that was the biggest shot was uh, Chelsea two Wolves four. Um, I thought obviously at Stamford Bridge, Pochettino. Um. Is kind of turned a little corner with Chelsea, and so you thought, and then Wills just went to Stamford Bridge and totally dominated and played scintillating football at times. Um, Matus Matus Cunha, uh, got a hat trick and what a hat trick it was! Somebody the link up play, Chelsea just couldn't handle them. Um, and I don't really think Chelsea defended um as a unit defended well um getting caught out in the counter attack um and just spaces all over the park and it just looks like a team that just it just doesn't gel it's dis- there's a lot of really disorganization in, in the in the lineup um and like you say man uh, Gary O'Neill was just going from strength to strength with rules and I think he, last year he done brilliantly with Bournemouth and again he's he's doing it at Wolves and I think for me whenever I, I tune into the Barclays Premier League they're a side I always like to watch because they just play some exciting stuff. They get some exciting talent. Um and they've had some big results this season against some of the top sides and that's a, another notch in the belt. And I think obviously you've got to mention the uh, Arsenal three, Liverpool one. I think that's a, a statement win. Um because Liverpool obviously top of the league um, had a little bit of a gap. Obviously, the the fact that Jurgen Klopp has announced that he's leaving at the end of the season, they had a brilliant result last week, um, and you'd expect them to go to the Emirates as favourites because I think even most Arsenal fans would would admit the same thing that Arsenal just haven't been as free flowing as they have been uh, since uh, since last season, but it'd been a little bit more um, solid defensively with the addition of Declan Rice, um, but. No, I thought they were just um, superb and limited Liverpool to, to, to nothing really. Like they scored, a, they scored through an own goal. 
a lot of flukish goal in the end. Um, but um, I thought Arsenal uh, thoroughly deserved a win. And I think, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Trossard goal was a pick of the bunch for me. On half the line, lovely turn, and then just just drives at the heart of the defence. Um, and then Alisson doesn't cover his selling glory. And then the second one as well, uh, Martinelli. I don't know what Van Dijk and Alisson were doing. Just I think just a lot of uh, errors at the back. And it's kind of unlike Liverpool because usually you can rely on Virgil van Dijk and uh, Alisson. Um, but no, it was a shock defeat. Um, and it just just shows you that uh, Arsenal are contenders this year yet again. And they're going to be it's going to get right down to the wire between them, City and Liverpool. And uh, that's my two standout fixtures for the weekend. Uh, yeah, no. Um, there's just so that you're right. There's so many. I mean, it was such a good um, weekend of uh, football in the Premier League because uh, there's so many. You're looking for the results. There's so many you could choose. Um, I'm going to say my most significant one was the one you just talked about, which was Arsenal three, Liverpool one. It's significant because of that result, which means that Arsenal are now right back in the title race. Um, you know, I think if they had lost that match, I think that would have been um, pretty much out of the title race. But the fact they won, right now we're looking at a three-horse title race with Liverpool, City and Arsenal. Um, and Arsenal totally deserved to win. Uh, you know, they were much the better side. Um, you know, first half especially, they were brilliant. They really um, controlled the match. Basically, Liverpool didn't play well at all. You know, they had they were missing um quite a few players like Shaboshlai, I think he was quite a big miss. Um, you know, and there was no Salah. Um and obviously uh, Darwin Nunes didn't start, which was a bit of a surprise. Um but uh, Arsenal deserved to win. Um, you know, and they are definitely back right back in the title race now. Um so that for me that was my most significant result. Uh, I've got to mention the Newcastle Luton. Match which ends four four. You know, not not every week do you see a match that ends four four. Uh, you know what a what a brilliant match that was, and Luton are just you know they just seem to be improving, um week on week. Uh, you know, results that they're getting is really impressive. You know, they beat uh, Brighton was it four 0 uh, last week as well, uh, and you know they just seem to be collecting points now every kind of every match now, and the more points they collect, the more they'll get away from that relegation. His own, and let's be honest. Um, everybody thought that at the start of the season they were going to be hands down that, that they'll not they'll have no chance, and uh, they'll get relegated straight away. But at the moment, you have to say that they're going to probably stay up. And there's so many good players as well. You know, we lost Barkley, who kind of had a great time at Everton, you know, and he, he went to Chelsea, it didn't quite work for him, and then he kind of went he kind of went away for a while, but he's come back to the Premier League with Luton. And he's been brilliant, you know. And there's now even calls for him to get into that England team, which is, you know, which is brilliant for him. Um, so that was, you know, a match that you had to kind, you had to kind of uh, mention. And then lastly, I just want to talk, touch on the Chelsea two, uh, Wolves four match. I think that was the first time Wolves had won at Chelsea since about 1980 something. I can't remember what year specifically, but a pretty significant result for Wolves. Uh, Matthias Cunha got a hat trick. Um, you know, and just firstly about Wolves, you know, Gary O'Neill's done, you know, a brilliant. I think he's got to be a contender for manager of the season because he only had four days, um, to prepare 
um, because he he only arrived in, at Wolves four days before the, the season started. They've got a lot. They, they sold a lot of the players in the summer, like Neves. They had to sell. <clears throat> um, you know they lost their manager as well and lost Tegi. You know, so he's had all that to deal with, um, and he's just come in and it's been he's just the, the players have responded to him and you know he's hardly had any money to spend. You know, January window just did as well. He wants a striker and he didn't get one. Um, so he's had that to deal with, and the job he's done is brilliant. And definitely for me, he's a shout for manager of the season because I don't think many managers in the world can can uh, kind of deal with that fact that he only arrived four days before the season starts. He didn't even have a pre season. That's, and then that's twice he's done it. <clears throat> yeah, he, he did that. Yeah, because um, the manager got sacked. I think it was a few games into the season. So the season hadn't really started. Um, and, you know, Bournemouth were in a lot of trouble. Um, and then he got appointed and they managed to steer them away from relegation. This I think they, they were quite comfortable mid-table um, the season that they finished. So... He's a really, really good manager. He really is. I think he's quite underrated. Um, you know, and I, I could see him kind of having a really, really good career. I think he's already got a good career in management, but like, I think he'll, 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 he'll get even better and just keep going up and up. You know, it's it's a brilliant job he's done so far at Wolves and also the job he did at Bournemouth. And then just in terms of Chelsea, you know, there's just big, big problems there. Um, you know, for a team that spent a million pound, eh, sorry, a billion pound, um, you know. Things just aren't going well at the moment at all. You know they're just losing. Go- they're just losing games. You know week by week. Uh, that's eight goals they've conceded now in two games. Um, you know there just seems to be so many issues at the moment, and then Pochettino's now under pressure. Uh, you know, I think. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think he should get sacked. Uh, I think a lot of Chelsea fans are kind of thinking that he should, but Chelsea can't sack, keep sacking the managers because. I just have to accept that Chelsea are in such a different place as to what they were four years ago under, you know, uh, Tom Stuckel when they won the Champions League. You know, this is a new team, a very young team, and they're just going to have to be patient with them. And I think it's going to be a bit more painful for Chelsea fans for the next, especially this season and probably the season after until they seem to start making progress because they just seem they just, everything's just new there now. The whole squad's new. And they're all young as well, so they're gonna to have to have time to kind of gel together. And you know that I think that's just the way it is at Chelsea at the moment. But I don't know if Pochettino is gonna have that time to kind of, uh, you know, turn it around and start making picking up results. But they are in a final, in the League Cup final. So um, if they win that, you never know that 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 might just change the whole mentality in the squad. Uh, but you never know. So um, yeah, that was a match that I have to point out as well. <clears throat> um, so we'll move on to last weekend's Scottish Premier League results now. Um, so uh, I'll start off again on Saturday, the 3rd of February, which every match in the Scottish Premier League was played on Saturday. So the, the results were Aberdeen 1, Celtic 1, Dundee 2, Hearts 3, Hibs 0, St Mirren 3, Murrowell 1, Kilmarnock 1, Rangers 3, Livingston nil, and Ross County nil. St Johnston one. So once again, Pierce, I just want to ask you which match stands out to you the most. Um, well, I think I'm going to two matches stand out to me this weekend. So I think firstly we touch on the uh, 
Aberdeen won, Celtic won. Um, thought the first half of that game, Celtic were in total control. Missed a few guilty chances, particularly um, Paulo Bernardo's, who had an open goal um, and just clipped it over the bar. Um, and like, they had chance after chance, and they had Aberdeen penned in at times around surrounding their own box. Mioski was isolated, um, uh, something awful. And then the second half was a completely different story. Um, Aberdeen were just wave after wave after wave of attack. I don't know if it was a new manager bounce, like the caretaker manager, um, but they just they just get in the faces of Celtic and gave them absolutely no time. Um, and I thought Mike Narowski, um, right centre half, had that torrid time, and rightly so, got hooked uh, with quarter and out to go. Um, he just couldn't deal with the physical presence and the pressure. And I think the Celtic midfield was just disjointed at the time between Bernardo, McGregor and O'Reilly. They just couldn't get a foothold in the game. And sometimes they're just getting bypassed. And I thought um, Bojan Mioski's goal was um, sensational. Um, just bent it around uh, Liam Scales and nothing Joe Hart could do. And then quickly after that, Celtic got a, an unlikely... Um, equalised at the time because they were a bit under pressure um, Nicholas Coonby's first uh, Celtic goal deflected into the bottom corner and then after that it was Aberdeen that looked the most likely to score um, Joe Hart had a couple of tremendous saves particularly the one from Graeme Shinney where it just looked like a certain goal um, and I think he's been one of the standout performers for Celtic this season and a season that has been quite inconsistent um, well they haven't really strung too many wins together in a row um, consistently throughout the whole campaign so far and that's why um, uh, Celtic Rangers neck and neck this campaign is going to get right down to the wire and um, unless Celtic can uh, um, tighten up in terms of like, the results away from home and other matches because as you've seen when they play against Rangers they seem to raise their game but it's about the other sides in the league that they seem to just be dropping points and um, throwing away leads and Showing a bit of inconsistency in their game, and the other one for me to stand out was um was the one at Easter Road where St Mirren won three 0 um thought it was a thoroughly dominant performance by St Mirren um Nick McDonald's done a good job at Hibs um but to win three 0 at Easter Road is a, is a pretty pretty um outstanding scoreline and obviously don't the scoring for uh, former Hibby um and that was uh, Gogic for a set piece and um. No, they, they just they just had the game done at half time, three goals, and then in the second half, I don't think Hibs really threatened at all. Um, and that's just another notch in the belt for um Stephen Robinson. I think he's just a tremendous um SBL, SBFL manager, and he just got St Mirren so solid. And obviously, you can see uh, with um since like, I think it was around January time they got uh, a younger back in the starting lineup back for his injury, and what a difference he makes to the side. He just offers that. Aerial threat, he's a presence, he's quick, it runs in behind all day long. And then they've got a hard work that hard work in midfield with like Kilty and Mark O'Hara and, and obviously Gogic as well. Um but no and obviously Quan as well, played on loan from Celtic. He had a pretty solid game, uh, actually second uh, start in a row as well. So promising signs for St. Mirren. Um that's a massive result and uh, that's my two standout for the weekend uh, fixtures for the SPFL. Yeah, um Mine's is actually quite different. My my standout match from the weekend is Dundee 2, Hearts 3. Uh, 
Firstly, it was a it was a brilliant match. Um, you know, it was an entertaining match. Uh, end to end, you know, both teams trying to win it, which you know, uh, is is brilliant to see. Um, but again, Hearts kind of broke Dundee's hearts. You know, it was only a couple of weeks ago that uh, Hearts played Dundee Tynecastle. You know, Dundee were two 0 up at half time. Then second half, Hearts came back and won three two. And then uh, on Saturday. Dundee were two one up in the match. Hearts got a goal back, and then in the last five minutes of the game, uh, Hearts scored again to win the match. So Dundee has been kind of uh, been broken hearted twice against Hearts this season. Um, but uh, I thought it was just a brilliant match to watch. You know this run that Hearts are on at the moment is is amazing. You know I think they've collected more points than Celtic in the last kind of ten matches. Uh, which just shows, you know, that's quite unheard of. You know, you don't really see that a lot with teams outside of Glasgow collecting more points over a run of matches uh, and the fact that Hearts have done it. And, you know, it's weird with Hearts because I actually don't think playing, you know, that well, but they just seem to have this character in them at the moment where they just always seem to go right to the end. You know, they've scored quite a lot of last-minute winners, uh, you know, and there just seems to be a good kind of character at the moment. And, you know, they are so sitting comfortably in third place. You know, I think they're both 12 points ahead of fourth. Um, you know, so it looks they look like they've got that third place kind of nailed on now. Um, and you've got to talk about Lawrence Shankland once again. He, he gets the winner. Uh, you know, it was a really good finish in the bottom corner. And, you know, I think, again, we talk about Shankland every week on this podcast, but, you know, if he goes in the summer, Hearts are going to be, well, obviously they're going to be devastated because if it wasn't for Shankland and that Hearts team, I don't know what Hearts would be. But they're going to get a lot of money for him because he's just he's just a he's just a goal scorer and you know he can win matches on his own, um you know and it's you know it's in terms of Scotland as well for the Euros, you know I think he's got a great shout to even start in these striker positions at the Euros because you know the run he's on at the moment is it's amazing he's he's having such a great season, uh, so that was my standout match um from the weekend. Uh, obviously, the Hibs-St. Mirren match was quite significant. Obviously, St. Mirren were going free in a lot of half-time. They had the match wrapped up at half-time. Um, you know, seems to be a lot of problems at Hibs. You know, I think Nick Montgomery's under a bit of pressure now. <clears throat> uh, you know, they haven't won a match for quite a while now. Uh, I think that's six games now. I think they've won with I'm, I'm not quite sure. But, uh, you know, they signed a lot of players in January as well. So, they've basically got a new squad, basically that he's going to have to quickly gel into a team because they're going to have to start picking up results uh, pretty quickly because Hibs should be uh, fighting for that third place and at the moment they're nowhere near it. Um, so I think that Montgomery's under a bit of pressure and he's got a lot of work to do. And then lastly, I just want to touch on the Aberdeen Celtic match, which finished 1-1. Um, you know, as you said, Celtic first half were really good, I thought. Um, you know, should have been at least two goals up at halftime. Um, you know, Aberdeen were couldn't even get out of their own half. You know, they didn't even touch uh, the ball in the opposition box in the first half, which is supposed to show how dominant Celtic were. Um, but in the second half, it changed and Aberdeen got into the game more. And at the end of the day, you probably should have, you, you probably have to say that Aberdeen in that second half probably deserved to win because they had the better chances in the second half. Um, you know, and Celtic kind of just seemed to run out of steam in that second half. Um, and yeah, again, that's another performance where Celtic have dropped points. Um, 
you know, and yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty significant result. Um so that the day three matches um I wanted to discuss, but my standout one was the Dundee two parts three match. And we also had uh, a couple of results at uh, matches that were played uh, last night uh, on um, uh, Tuesday the 6th of February. Um, so we had uh, Murrowell 5, Ross County 0, and Rangers 2, Aberdeen 1. So we'll start off with the Rangers 2, Aberdeen 1 match. Pierce, um, so this was Neil, Neil Warnock's first game as Aberdeen manager. He got appointed last week, um, earlier in the week there on Monday. Um, so, firstly, Pierce, I just want to ask you about that appointment, the fact that Aberdeen have appointed Neil Warnock. And then also, I just want to ask, um, when you touch on how the match went. Well, um, in terms of the appointment itself, um, I think that Aberdeen have went with an experienced head um, because they, they feel as if Barry Robson, young manager, it's not working out and it would now give them like a like damage limitation. It would give them time to then pick the right manager come the summer. Um, and they'll probably go with another young manager again, but the one that fits right for them and how they want to go about their business. And in terms of Neil Warnock himself, I think he's quite blockbuster. I think he's a massive name, and he's always wanted to manage in Scotland. And obviously, I, I don't know if you've watched his press conference bef before even his, his first match. It was just it was sensational. There's so many comedy bites in that. Um, the fact is he's already got a house in Dunoon. Um, He's got a brick and that with his family and that. He's always wanted uh, the job. He actually re get, uh, rejected a couple of years ago by Aberdeen. Um, so it's come full circle. Um, and I think he's a brilliant appointment. And obviously, you've seen the job he did last season um, when he was struggling Huddersfield in the Championship and kept them up when they looked dead and buried. And he's had so many promotions and um, uh, cup wins as well and get beaten big sides in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup. So he's got... A, a lot of experience in the game, and I think that's what Aberdeen need, an experienced head to steal the ship, and um, I think you've seen that last night. I think Rangers, um, also high-flying under Clermont, but it was a very, very close game, um, and it was fine margins between um, Rangers getting a victory and obviously dropping two points, because I thought Aberdeen were thoroughly deserving of at least a point, um, because the two goals that Rangers scored were obviously rebounds, um, two mistakes by Keller Roos which I think he will be kicking himself at and um, Aberdeen scored a brilliant goal Mjofsky out muscling uh, Golson and then dinking Jack Butland which is no uh, mean feat uh, and obviously that's now his 20th goal of the season and this is an Aberdeen side that's um, rarely creates anything he's usually isolated and the variety of goals that Boja Mjofsky scores I think he's up there with Shankland in terms of the two of them are just standout strikers in this league. That I think that they've got another level in them. That um, I'm surprised that Celtic All Rangers didn't go and test the waters where where bid, because you look at Celtic, um, obviously signing Adam Eden loan, and you look at Rangers across the city, um, and Dessers and Danilo have failed to um capture the hearts of the Rangers fans. They've not really found the back of the net all too often. And then you've got Fabio Silver and Loan from Wolves. But he's not a prolific goal scorer. Um, and I think he's only scored one goal so far for Rangers. Um, so that's just a surprising. Um, but obviously there's a couple of contentious decisions in terms of a couple of penalty, uh, penalty shots for Aberdeen, but um, waved away by the officials, which is a bit surprising because I think at least one of them 
maybe should have been given, um, both by Conor Golson. But um, no, I thought Aberdeen played well. And like you said, he's he touched on his post-match press conference that um, going one nil down at Ibrox, could, a lot of teams could crumble. But his, his side defended well and um, they grew into the game and they were one more up at half time, uh, one one at half time, and um, I thought I thought he made them a, a little bit more solid because you seen me we Aberdeen under Barry Olsen when he went to Celtic Park they lost six 0 so results like that were in um, were in uh, Barry Olsen's tenure but nothing I think Aberdeen will um, be fighting for that third fourth position in the league and I think Stephen Warnock will be an absolute uh, treasure in first league and I think it'll be entertaining to say the least. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, firstly, on his appointment, um, as you said, Pierce, I think it's like a, it's kind of a blockbuster name in Scottish football because he's so well known in English football. You know, he's had such a great career. I can't even begin to count how many matches he's got under his belt in terms of his management career. You know, he's so experienced. Um, you know, the fact he's seventy five and he still wants to keep going, and still manage teams. Uh, you know, it's it's quite good to see, and he's such a character as well. He's every press conference he has, um, I just seem to laugh because he just comes out with lines and stuff that just they're just so funny. Um, so it, it's such a good kind of, it's such a good name to have in Scottish football. Uh, you know, might might bring more eyes to the game up here. We don't know, but um, yeah, it, it, in terms of Neil Warnock itself, it's just a brilliant. It's brilliant to see him in Scottish football, and in terms of. Uh, in Aberdeen's case, you know, I think it's a really kind of smart appointment. You know, we talked about Barry Robson, you know, it hadn't been going well for him this season. You know, he's a young manager. This was his first job. And in the league this season, it just didn't seem, it just, it wasn't going well for him. Uh, you know, they're languishing in uh, 10th, 9th place. You know, that's not where Aberdeen should be at all. Uh, so I wasn't really surprised when he did get let go. Um. But to bring Neil Warnock in until the end of the season, I think it's a really smart appointment because he's been there and done it. He knows what it's like, um, you know, to take jobs at, at teams at teams that are struggling. You know, as you you mentioned the Huddersfield uh, job last season that he did. You know, they were struggling and he managed to get them out of relegation. Um, so uh, I think it's a really smart appointment for Aberdeen. And then in terms of the game last night, I actually thought Aberdeen played pretty well. Uh, you know, Rangers had a lot of opportunities in the first half. You know, they could have scored more than one goal. Uh, they were in quite good control of the match. But then Aberdeen got that goal just before half-time uh, with Miodowski, uh, who, again, if it wasn't for him, I don't know where Aberdeen... I think Aberdeen could be in the even worse position because he's just been brilliant this season. I think he's got 20 goals this season um, for Aberdeen. So it just shows how important he is to them. Um, and then in the second half, you know, Again, they, they kind of made a good go of it, but at the end of the day, Rangers did manage to get that uh, all-important goal to win the match. Uh, so it's going to be interesting in the next uh, kind of three months to see how Neil Warnock's going to do. He did say in his press conference that he wants to win the Cup because obviously Aberdeen have still got the Scottish Cup to to play for. So um, could you imagine if they wind up winning that? That'd be, that'd be what a story that would be. Neil Warnock winning the Scottish Cup. Uh, at 75 years old, that would be some story. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So that just touching on that match, um, and also the Neil Warnock appointment, and then we also had one more match last night, which was um, Motherwell five versus County Nil. Uh, you know what a result that is for Motherwell. So again, Pierce, just want to ask you about that result. What do you think? Um, well, I thought uh, a Motherwell absolute 
demolished Ross County. Um, I, I think they're falling up at half time. Aye, they're up at half time. Um, I think obviously the start of the show was Blair Spittle. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these two goals, but especially second one, my word, it he just he just bends it into the top left right hand corner. He just picks his spot. He's got that quality, and even in the in the second half, his pass through for um Vale late on in the game, it just like it's eye the needle stuff. It's something you probably see like a a real attacky make or a Matt O'Reilly. Um, that quality in terms of the final ball, the weight of the pass, um. And his link-up play as well was just brilliant. I thought Motherwell at times were just playing playing Ross County off the park and Ross County looked frustrated, um, disinterested. They just looked lost. And Derek Adams' um, post-match press conference um, didn't didn't uh, heal the wounds of the Ross County supporters and he looks like a defeated man. And uh, I, think, I, don't, I don't think he'll last in the job too long. Because he's been very controversial since he's came back up to Scotland. Um and also I think this might be a step too far. This is a massive defeat and um they're languishing down at the bottom of the table. Um they're just only above Livingston who are just having a, a woeful season. Um so no, I think um I don't think uh, Ross, uh Derek Adams have been a job too long. But I thought uh Motherwell brilliant because Shot Kettle Williams, his former side, have um had a poor start to the season, but now they're starting to pick up results. Um and I think this will do the the world uh, of confidence a world of good um brilliant result. I thought Blur Spittle was um fantastic on the day. Yeah, uh, just briefly on the rematch, you know, what what a result that's from Motherwell because they've had it tough this season, you know, they've um they had such a good start to the season and then it kind of the season just kinda of fell off for them and they haven't won a lot of matches this season. But the fact that they've they won five 0 last night against a team who are really close to them in the table. Uh, it's so significant for them. Um, and you know, in the last kind of few matches as well, Murray have kind of started picking up points. So um that's a brown result for them and that'll take them away a, a little bit from the relegation playoffs. Um and gives them given that it kind of gives them that little bit of breathing space. So in terms of Murrayville, a brilliant result, um, you know, that'll kind of uh Ease some pressure off of Stuart Kettlewell. And then in terms of Ross County, you know, again, it's it's a bad result for them. You know, they got beat at the weekend, uh, 1-0 against St Johnston. And then they get beat 5-0 against Murrayville. And Murrayville and St Johnston are both fighting relegation as well. So two very, very big matches that they've been beaten. Uh, and then, as you said, Derek Adams is, um, you know, he's been pretty controversial since he's come back to Scottish football with some of the comments he's made. And I think he said last night after the match that he's going to be, you know, contemplating his future. He said he's going to be talking to the CEO and the chairman of Ross County about where his future lies. So that's pretty significant. And the fact that he said that out in public kind of shows that he is really kind of considering his future. And, you know, it just seems to be Ross County have just made the headlines since Derek Adams has come back for all the wrong reasons. We haven't talked about the performances or anything. We've talked about what the, the comments that the managers made after the match, you know, which kind of says a lot about the fact that all, all's not well there at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure where Ross County and Derek Adams go uh, at the moment. And as you said, I wouldn't really be surprised if Derek Adams did leave because it just doesn't seem to be 
um, you know, things just don't seem to be working out there for him at all at the moment. Uh, so we'll move on to uh, the transfer window, just briefly. So the January transfer window closed last week. Uh, a very quiet window. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, not a lot of happening in terms of transfers. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, Pierce, um, what you thought of it, and uh, you know, is it is it was it a player that, um, you know, stand stood out to you in terms of signing for another club? Uh, what do you think? Uh, I thought obviously it just shows you um a lot of clubs spent a lot of money during the summer, um probably a bit too much. And maybe a lot of clubs had to balance in terms of financial fair play, in terms of getting fines and suspensions and possible bans from uh, competitions and deducted points. Um, so I think a lot of clubs were a little bit more uh, strategic. And, and you've seen a lot of loan signings, especially from the, like, the Premier League, for example. Um, I think probably the standout kind of signing maybe would probably be like... Um, like a Timo Werner on loan to Tottenham. Um, I think that's probably the standout signing for me. And possibly maybe Eric Dyer going to Bayern Munich. Uh, both loan signings, but I think obviously... Um, no, I think it was maybe a loan signing to buy from Eric Dyer. I think that was the most like kind of out of the blue one because he wasn't getting a look in at Tottenham. And then obviously Timo Werner um, played the Premier League before at Chelsea. Um, but you just feel as if he's like a perfect fit for Ange. And find his system and maybe get the best out of them. But um, in terms of the, the transfer window, it was a quiet one. Um, and it was not not unexpected, but it was to be expected considering how much uh, clubs spent during the summer window. Yeah, uh, a very quiet window, probably the quietest it's been for a long time. You know, I can't remember the giant transfer window being that quiet. You know, none of the top English Premier League clubs really made any significant signs, apart from Tottenham, who signed. Um, Dragusan and Timo Werner. Um, so not a lot happening at all uh, in terms of uh, big, massive signs. Uh, I think a lot of these clubs will be waiting until the summer. Um, but my kind of standout signing of the January transfer window uh, is probably the ones that you've just said, uh, Eric Dyer and Timo Werner. Um, you know, I think Timo Werner because, you know, I think it was such a smart sign because of the fact that Son's away to the um, African Cup of Nations. Asian Cup? So, uh, yeah, sorry, um, the Asian Cup. Sorry, I was, I was thinking of Salah there. Uh, so, um, uh, the fact that, you know, they, they kind of taught him a kind of shot in attack positions. So, I thought Timo Werner was a really smart signing. Uh, you know, um, and I think that was quite a significant one. And obviously, Eric Dyer, just because of the fact of how long he'd been taught him. Uh, you know, he's been such a big player for them the last few seasons, and then the fact that he'd went to um, uh, Bayern Munich, which you know I didn't really expect, but uh, you know, quite a quite a significant uh, sign as well. Also, touching on that, uh, one more, which was uh, John Henderson going to Ajax, which again was pretty significant because um, you know, all the controversy with John Henderson going to Saudi Arabia last summer, and then it only lasted kind of. A few months and now he's back in UK football at Ajax. Um so yeah, a pretty quiet window uh, uh, overall. So uh for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yeah, so in terms of Asian football news, um uh Ulsan Hyundai defender um or Ulsan HD as it's now 
uh, known as, have admitted that they have received an offer from Schwarzfeder, uh, which is obviously Restel Belgrade in Serbia, uh, for Sil Young Wu, but have denied it. And the negotiations are currently at the final stage. Um, if the move is completed, he would link up with his uh, international teammate in uh, Huang Inbom. And also the massive news surrounding the K-League at the moment is um, Jesse Lingard's uh, pending move uh, to FC Seoul. Um, so it's on the verge of completion. He's already passed his first party's medical. He arrived on Monday um, and is expected to sign um, um, uh, later this week um, if uh, everything goes to plan. He was greeted by 15,000 um, eager fans at uh, Incheon Airport um, when he arrived. And... It just it's like it buzz around the place in South Korea. Um, you'd expect you're thinking probably Messi's arrived, but it's only Jesse Lingard. But it just uh, shows you the 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 excitement of someone, um, an England internationalist, only thirty one years of age, playing the Premier League last season. Um, that he can bring to this league. Um, so the uh, so FC Seoul head into the twenty twenty four um K League one season with a new coach and Kim Ji Dong. Um, who guided Pong Steelers to second place finish last season and also a Korean FA Cup win. Um, so Lingard has agreed a two-year deal with an option of a further year. Um, the former Manchester United star um, turned down many offers, most noticeably from uh, Saudi Arabia, um, to come to South Korea as they wanted a fresh start uh, in a new country and his salary is expected to be the highest in the league currently. So, Seoul World Cup Stadium is now going to be the host of the 2024 K-League 1 uh, Korean FA Cup final. After discussions um, by the K by the KFA and the, the K-League, um, it was decided that Seoul World Cup Stadium was the best fit for the, uh, the showpiece final. So, Stuttgart's Hiroki Ito has turned down an offer from Saudi Arabia's Al Nassar the club where it was willing to pay a £21.6 million transfer fee and offered Ito a yearly salary of just under £8 million. Um, so that works out at um, £150,000 a week, tax-free. It was a long-term contract, but Ito um, wants to stay in Europe and make sure that Stuttgart qualify for European football next season. And they're currently on course for that in the Bundesliga this term, um, having a terrific campaign to date. Um, so European football is a massive factor of decision and it's refreshing to see that not all players want to uh, take the bag and go to Saudi Arabia. So Japan is held to be fielder Ryo Itate, uh, pulled up with a calf injury during Japan's last 16 victory over Bahrain. He has since returned to Celtic where manager Brendan Rodgers has confirmed he has blown both his calves um, in the press conference and is expected to be out for at least six to eight weeks. Um. This is a massive blow for the player as it's been a stop-start campaign so far due to niggling injuries and hopefully makes a full recovery as on the pitch again both for Celtic and Japan in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, so South Korea um, have um, been knocked out of the Asian Cup semi-final. Um, they lost uh, in a shock 2-0 win to Jordan uh, last night. So second half goals from Yuzan Al-Naimat and Musa Al-Tamari gave Jordan a short 2-0 victory over South Korea. It was a step too far for South Korea as uh, they couldn't rescue it late on like they had done in the previous rounds in, in the last 16. 
versus Saudi Arabia. Um, they drew 1-1, equalised in the 99th minute through Chogu Sung, and they won 4-2 on penalties. And in the quarterfinals, they played um, Australia, and it required a 94th minute penalty to equalise, and in extra time, Son Hyun Min steps up with a trademark free kick to win the match 2-1 in extra time. And so Jordan thoroughly deserved their, their win as the two goals were straight out the top draw. Um, they defended like they depended on it and they just wanted that bit more. And uh, Jürgen Klinsmann will now be under serious pressure as the Asian Cup was a priority to win. Um, and performances haven't been the greatest in this tournament and it remains to be seen if Klinsmann can survive the shock defeat. And also... So that's uh, South Korea knocked out the semi the semi finals. Um. Well, Japan last week at the end of last week, uh, get knocked out in the quarterfinals. So they lost to two two one to Iran. Um. So Japan were the tournament favourites getting into this um. Into this tournament because of the squad depth that they have across the whole board, um. But Iran were just so much better than uh, Japan. Japan took an early lead, but then since then it was just wave after wave after wave of attack from Iran and the pressure uh, told Japan and uh, they couldn't hold on and they conceded a 96th minute penalty to uh, former Brighton man uh, Jaka Hambash who showed tremendous composure um, and it sends Iran into the semi-final. So Tom, I just wanted to ask you um, in terms of obviously Jesse Lingard, what do you think of that move in terms of the K-League? Does that come as a bit of shock to you? It is a bit, yeah, because I um, I was fully expecting him to go to Saudi Arabia. You know, there's been lots of talk about him kind of moving over there. Uh, you know, I'm actually surprised in that way he didn't really get a club in England because at the end of the day, he is quite still young. Uh, you know, it was only a couple of seasons ago he had a really good season at West Ham. So, and I'll, I've always found Jesse Lingard to be a really good player, um, you know, that can really stamp his authority in the Premier League. So, I was quite surprised he never got a club in the Premier League and also I was surprised that he never managed to get to a club in Saudi Arabia because he was training over there and everything and it did seem likely that was going to happen. But in terms of uh, him going to SC Seoul in, in South Korea, I think it's such a brilliant sign for the South Korean League. I can't really remember the last time a, a player of, kind of Jesse Lungard's calibre uh, and kind of known name kind of went to the South Korean League. You know, it's going to really help the South Korean League a lot. Um, in terms of bringing a lot more eyes to the league and um, you know and I think it's quite a good move for Jesse Lingard you know it's something totally different for him you know uh, you know he's going to be a house a, a household name over there uh, you know and I think it's a really really good move for him uh, and I think for South Korean football it's going to really help them out a lot um, because as I've just said Jesse Lingard is quite a well known name in the world of football so a really, really good signing for South Korean football and I really hope it goes well for him over there because if it goes well for him over there, then even more players in Europe um, and also in English football might turn around and say, oh, you know what, going to South Korea and to play football is a really good idea. So all in all, really good, really good signing. Yeah, so I think I've fought on there, mate. Um, I think that um, he's, he's not took the decision lately. I think um, he's weighed up his options in terms of money and obviously culture. And the fact is, if you went to Saudi Arabia, it'd just be one, it'd be one of 
many players that went there for the money. He wouldn't be the biggest man, but I think he's went to Korea. And you've seen the fans when they greeted him at the airport. Uh, it was Bedlam. Um, it was broadcast live over the news. Everyone was talking about Jesse Lingard. Um, and I think, obviously, I live over here. Um, so there's there are many Brazilians playing the Korean League. And the, the Brazilians and the foreign players are worshipped like gods. So the fact is, I think, like Jesse Lingard, he's better than most of those players, if not the best. He will be the best player in the league. And obviously, it'll bring a lot more English fans and European fans um, keeping eyes on the Korean league. And I think it will grow um, the audience. And that's, I think that's what Kim Ji Dong, the manager, has touched on. The fact is, he's a player of tremendous quality and he can play a number of positions. And obviously, it will bring more eyes on the Korean league. And I think it will help grow the league. Um, and I think, no, I think it's just a brilliant move. And um, yeah, so that's uh, all your latest Asian football news. Thank you, Pierce, and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Chuggy podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Chuggy YouTube channel, also the Football Chuggy website. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Bye-bye.